Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Bryn Lucas, and this is the Autosport Podcast. It's a new dawn for the team previously known as Alpha Tauri as they launched their new 2024 Challenger, the V-Carb 01, in a somewhat confusing launch. Well, gone is Red Bull's fashion brand after four seasons. Instead, sponsors Visa and Cash App have stepped in, creating one of the weirdest F1 team names to date, the Visa Cash App RB. Joining me this time is F1 editor John Noble to talk through everything we've seen from Vegas to start with, John. Um, you weren't that impressed, really, with the launch, were you? Talk us through your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, you, you call us a new dawn, and it was dawn for us because we were up at five o'clock this morning trying to work out what on earth is going on. Um, yeah, I'd find the whole thing quite confusing, really. We've got this kind of a new team, new sponsors, new image, reinvigorated push, you know, two great drivers. Um, you know, a launch on the Las Vegas boulevards. You thought this would be something they'd be kind of shouting from the rafters and going all glory, but you kind of logged on this morning, no live stream, not much images, not much warning of what's happening. No interview set up, very little information. Uh, and I saw a few tweets from, there were a couple of journalists there. Uh, and then suddenly we get an email popped with the images that were re- released before the actual car had been launched in Vegas. So, there's an event going on somewhere. We don't know much about it. Um, I think I had Kendrick Lamar and Baby Keem or something. I'm not so big on my um, rap stars. But uh, so there's this big event, but not much communication. Quite confusing because you have, you know, teams make huge efforts for these launches. We had the Sauber, Stake Sauber um, launch in London on Monday, you know, press conferences, speaking to people, great deals with embargoes. Then a nice event revealed the car. Great. Alpine, exactly the same thing. Um, they want you to speak to people. They want you to kind of understand what the team is about, speak about the hopes, aspirations, all that sort of thing. And this has been nothing. It's definitely one of those bizarrest, uh, you know, people have complained about the name saying it's quite a strange name, but it's quite a strange launch. Yeah, I mean, what I won't say is that just before we started recording, our producer, Torrin, made an appalling joke when you said about, um, was it Baby what? Keem. Baby Keem. And he said, 
it might not have been him actually, but anyway, said, uh, was Daddy Keem there to much hilarity? But it was the fact that you had to rifle through your notes to find out who these rappers were because, you know, it's it's a weird demographic, isn't it? Who are they trying to appeal to, do you think? Then? Are they trying to go down a different route to other teams? I would I would suspect so. I think Visa's obviously this first step into Formula One, big, big corporate sponsor. Um, I think a lot's being kind of pushed out of America. From what I understand, you know, there was all this big kind of doubts about the team name, what was happening, delays on when it was going to get announced. Uh, then they didn't announce things and it was rolled back and then it kind of did come out. So I, I think dealing with a corporation like Visa uh, is a, kind of a, a different game from perhaps some other sponsors who've got used to the ways of workings of Formula One. Um, it's corporate. I mean, it's great for Formula One to have a big company like that. It's great for the team to have a, a backer like this. But I think it's this, this big push for the the American market we've seen, um, which is all well and good. But if you're a you know a hardcore Formula One fan based in Europe, and that's still I still think that's the vast demographic of Formula One fans, you want to hear from Daniel Ricciardo today. You want to hear from Yuki Tsunoda. You want to know what this team is pushing for. Uh, and there's been you know almost virtual silence beyond an image an image or two of the car. Yeah, you watch out. Twenty twenty six will be the Ferrari Amex car or something like that, you know. But it is it is a, a bit odd, like you say. We haven't heard from the drivers. Maybe we'll discuss that in, in just a bit, though. But what have you learned about the team? There's been a lot of changes within that team over the last few months, really, with a new CEO and a new team principal. We'll come to Mechies a little bit later on. But what can we learn about the team itself and the structure? Yeah, it's, it's a kind of a refresh for the team. Um, I think last year's competitive performances. I think you know they were potentially probably not the slowest team at the start of the year, but we're well down towards the back. I think then, you know, a bit of reflection from Red Bull um, under its kind of new CEO, Oliver Minslav, just in terms of, you know, what is it doing in its Formula 1 operations? It's got Red Bull winning virtually everything, um, committed huge amount of finances to Red Bull powertrains for this bright new era for the Red Bull team. So that's all well and good. But I think then it looked at what was Alpha Tauri and, you know, it, Pound for point, it actually costs them more money than Red Bull. So you're thinking, why are we investing all this money? So I think there's a lot of kind of deep dive into what is this team supposed to do? It was originally, you know, the, the proving ground for junior drivers kind of shifted a little bit away from that now. You know, Sergio Perez, they took as their preferred option for Verstappen. They didn't want a youngster there. So that's kind of shifted. And I think as a result, they realized it needed a need an injection. needs to make more of that technical partnership with Red Bull needed kind of a, a refresh at the top. So Franz Tost out, uh, in came Peter Bayer as CEO, uh, and Laura Meckes from Ferrari as new team principal. Um, they've pushed on, they've taken Daniel Ricciardo, experienced driver, alongside Yuki, as, as I mentioned, closer ties to Red Bull. And I think it's just a, a push to get this team moving forwards. Let's just stay with Mekis for a second. I was fortunate enough to interview him at the Autosport Awards back in December, and he seemed like a thoroughly nice chap. What can you tell us about Lauren Mekis? Because some people might not know who he is. No, yeah. I mean, I totally agree. Thoroughly nice chap. Um, I've spoken to him many times in the paddock. Uh, I've spoken to him outside the paddock. You speak on the phone occasionally. Um, yeah, ex Ferrari, I can't remember his official title, whether it was racing director or sporting director, but effectively the, the team manager at Ferrari for a while, he was previously FIA, um, moved to Ferrari in some controversial circumstances because uh, some teams weren't especially happy that he'd come out of the FIA because you, you get kind of all the information from all the teams and then you join a competitor. Some teams weren't happy. And I, I was Googling recently 
just looking at the, the background because RB's actually taken Tim Goss from the FIA. So there's been a bit of a controversy. So I just Googled last time this happened and who was unhappy. And amazingly, the most outspoken person was Christian Horner complaining about Mechis going to Ferrari. So it's amazing how the kind of the, the world turns in some respects. But he's understands the game of Formula One, understands how teams operate, understands things from a sporting perspective. And I think in Bayer and Mechis, they, they kind of cover the spectrum. I think the job of team principal now is probably too big just for one person. Um, we've seen at McLaren how it, work, how it works so well. You've got Zach Brown on the, the commercial front, the front face of the team, speaking to the public, the fans approach. And Andrea Stella, fantastic engineer, great with the media, um, works out, you know, good team player, motivates the team, pushes the team forward. So I think it's these, these compliments. I think sometimes a single team principal can get overwhelmed with, with all that's happening. And I think, you know, the Mechis Bayer lineup at RB should work really well. Yeah, it's a similar parallel to football, I suppose, isn't it? Where you used to have a manager and now you have a head coach and a sporting director that sorts out all the signings and stuff like that. It kind of allows people to thrive in their best position, I, I guess, is the thinking. Yeah, I think it's, you know, the spectrum of the job of Formula One team principals now so, so large. There are a few who can kind of get away with it. But you even look at Red Bull itself, Christian Horner, um, and Helmut Marco. Now, they may not see um, agree on everything. Uh, they may have differences of opinions about where they go, but they each fulfill a slightly different role in a slightly different arena um, and potentially you know, take away. There are aspects of the job that Christian Horner doesn't want to do, doesn't like to do. Uh, I understand, for example, you know, he doesn't particularly like phoning drivers up and telling them, you're out, you're not good enough. Um, we're getting rid of you. Whereas I think for Helmut Marco, he's, we know what he's like with drivers can be absolutely brutal. Um, so kind of he can fulfill a role that Christian Horner doesn't especially like to do. Um, you see it with Zach and Andrea Stella. Um, and even, you know, Toto Wolf in the past has done certain aspects of the job, but the, the, kind of the more technical sides goes to the technical director who perhaps has an elevated position at Mercedes like James Allison. So it's the kind of the, the James Allison, Tosa Wolf, both fulfill these kind of slightly different roles. I have my script here. This opening, this opening chat really about the team is supposed to have taken about five minutes or so. I think we're 10 minutes in and we've got more to chat about. But let's let's move on slightly to the car itself. Because as you say, it was a, a confusing launch. You know, it was all, I think you referred to it before we started rolling as something like, uh, it's like having a Formula One Grand Prix behind closed doors and not broadcasting it to anyone. It was a fantastic event, but no one got to see it. So let's talk about the car itself, the livery and what we've gleaned. What are your initial thoughts? Yeah, we've seen some renders of the car, and I think a few images have appeared on social media um, from people at the launch. But it's, it's hard to check, hard to check the details. But we can, I'm sure, when these cars appear at the test, you know, they'll have the, the bespoke parts on. But you get a you get a vague idea of what it's like. And I think we what we see is just that slight transition towards Red Bull. So last year from the Singapore Grand Prix, pretty big revamp on the AlphaTauri. Uh, they took Red Bull's rear suspension, some kind of aero concept shifting more towards Red Bull. And this year's car's the next step. It's gone pull rod suspension at the front. So it has that, that pull rod front, push rod rear that Red Bull and McLaren have used. Um, we've seen Sauber go down that route as well. So I think that's fast becoming the, the preferred route for Formula One. A lot of the concepts on the, the new RB, oh, V-Carb 01, uh, similar, to, similar to last year. Um, but interestingly, you know, we have a big focus on side pods. We're always, always looking at side pods and what have people done. Um, 
and this car, if you look at the kind of the inlet area, which is one of one of the I think key areas for performance, it's gone very much down the Red Bull route. Step change from last year, probably more similar to the RB18 than last year's car, but um, I think you can just just see the kind of the personality of the Red Bull with this new Challenger. Just briefly talk to us about this this change in the setup with the suspension because I know you've written a really nice article on Autosport about the pull rod suspension and how it's slightly different, probably better for aerodynamics. But it's not; it's a bizarre concept flipping the suspension upside down. If you could just give us a, a kind of a, a top line on the differences between push rod and pull rod suspension. Yes, I mean it's, it's all. To, I mean it's quite quite complicated, and I haven't got bits. It's much much easier when you do graphics just to explain it. But it's basically where your your main components of the the suspension are. So if if, if they're low down, when it goes over a bump, they're basically is being pulled, and if they're at the top and it goes over a bump, they're being pushed. Basically, it's very very simple terms, and I, I think Adrian knew he could probably explain it a lot better than I can there. Um, but we've seen seen this concept. I mean, in the previous generation of cars, push rod was better. You can access the components a lot better. Um, it's not so good for center of gravity. That's not really a consideration um, as much. But you go for pull rod. It's tucked quite away inside the car, quite difficult to access. Um, but you're getting a lot of aero benefits now because some key components are out of the way. Uh, and I think teams are fast realizing that, you know, one of the key aspects to getting aero performance with these cars is, is again, get rid of the air around the tyres. You've seen the front wings going for outwash, some of the FIA try to stop teams doing, but it's happening. And it's all about channeling air. You want to kind of power the air that's going into the under the floor um, that then kind of gets charged by the side pods and the diffuser. Um, and that's your, your key to performance. So it's basically, it's an aero, aero thing, even though uh, it was James Keyes, our technical director, I said to him, you know, he said, normally you wouldn't, wouldn't do this thing because the suspension's inside out, back to front. It's a really weird thing. But for aero, absolute no-brainer. Well, I reckon you can pat yourself on the back there, John, because I think we all know, all understand at least to a degree, the difference between the push rod and the pull rod now. So thank you very much. Well, well done. Well done. It's early in the morning and you got through that little uh, little nugget that I threw at you that's not in the script. I should add as well. Now... Let's go back to the, the livery because we've seen a few liveries revealed so far this season and I'm pretty much a bit meh with all of them. You know, they're all going for this, this naked carbon with a little bit of colour, whereas V-Carb RB or whatever they're going to be called, I have no idea. It's a commentator's nightmare, this. But it, there's some colour here. Is that all going to be stripped back come Bahrain testing? I don't think it'd be stripped back, stripped back for testing. I think teams are fairly, once they've locked into their livery for the launch, it, it's unlikely to change unless they realize they're dramatically overweight. Um, I think, you know, teams have been struggling to get down to the weight limit. We only, we found over the winter, for example, that even Red Bull, when it roared its way to the 22 championship, was nowhere near the weight limit. So it was struggling uh, so much that so all the teams are on the edge. We've, we've seen, you know, the paint not be used and bare carbon fiber everywhere just to bring it down to the, the weight limit. I know some people, don't like it you know a lot of criticisms that this isn't what formula one should be bright colors and all that's fine but equally what i quite like about formula one is everything's about performance you take everything to the extreme for ultimate performance that's what you know is what drives innovation what drives the best brains it drives the best engineers gets the most out of designers and if the best performance means you don't have any paint on the car then that is part of that kind of that magic of formula one um you know you, you can argue the car's looking too similar. Um, RB have done something slightly different. 
But maybe it's something that will change for 26. We get new regs, lighter cars, um, not so difficult to, to get down to the weight limit. But I like this this extreme nature of Formula One where you know things should be decided by 0.001 seconds because that's what makes it so great. There'll be some bizarre rule brought in for 2026 that says every car must have this amount of <laughs> paint on them or something random like that just to, to make it a bit more lively. I think it's a, it's a nice looking car, actually. I think they've, they've done a good job with the livery. It's, um, you know, it's a bit bold. It's a bit brash. We quite like it. It's, it's got something about it. But let's go back to Lauren Mechie's then. You know, you mentioned that they've got a new team principal in his position and he's taken over. We kind of mentioned what sort of person he is, but what can he do at the team what must he do at the team to help drive them forwards? I think it's about, as Red Bull have done, it's about energising that team. Um, I think it's kind of making the most of the opportunities it's got. So it's working out how closely aligned it gets with Red Bull, um, you know, how much of the, the Red Bull components that it can take, it wants to take. I think it's about making the most of the, kind of the, the different departments in the team. You've got your, your Fienza factory, they've got aerodynamics in Bista, there's some personnel working in Milton Keynes. So I think, think it's kind of plotting the the long-term path for this team to to move it forward. I mean, the, the step up at the end of last year was pretty impressive because AlphaTauri went from, you know, near the back at the start of the season to be annoying some of the kind of front runners towards the end of the, the campaign. It was quite a dramatic step forward. So I think it's about building on that. I think it would struggle. It was going to struggle to break into those top three, four teams because, you know, the likes of Red Bull, Mercedes, Ferrari, and even McLaren are, you know, quite tough nuts to crack, I think, over one winter. But I think it's about building foundations, stepping stones to moving forwards because the competitors now of Formula One is just incredible. That, that grid's closing up. There's no room, no room for error. Uh, yeah, no room for error means maybe some of that paint's going to have to come off. Oh, there we go again. I mean, the Alpha Tauri last year, as you say, finished eighth overall. They they had some decent points scoring, and I think that there's the the top three, then there's the middle pack, and they're either at the back end of the middle pack or the very very top of the back pack. If that makes any kind of sense uh, to you, it's a uh, it's an interesting season looking ahead. Has has Mecky's got the the tools to achieve more than they did last year? I think they should get into that. That kind of the problem is the midfield doesn't really exist anymore. Um, I think you've got. I think from what we understand, I think Haas are going to start and have openly admitted they're probably going to start at the back. It's been a you know big winter of change at the team. They struggled a bit with the car last year. They've not been able to make the progress they wanted. So I think we're, we're predicting Haas to be there. Alpine's gone for an all new concept with its car, and the launch was quite it was quite low key. And the message seemed to be we're going to start the season a little bit on the back foot, but this car's got some big developments. I think they're already talking race two. The developments are coming on to push it forwards. So we may see Alpine, you know, pegged back towards that, that pack. But in front of that, who knows? Williams is supposed to have made a big step forward. The top four or five teams all look really, really quick. So there is no real midfield now. And I think, as Zach Brown um, mentioned when they did the livery launch uh, last month, he said, this is a new Formula One. The cost cap has closed everything up. And in the past, a backmarker team, you could forget about them. You don't need to worry about them in Q1. But every single team now is a threat for Q3. So everyone needs to be on it. Um, and I think the margins are so small that if you get everything lined up, you know, you can be there fighting for points, impressing, or you can be there kicked out in Q1 and pretty depressed. 
well, let's hope there's not too much depression come 2024, the end of 2024 for any of these teams. But let's talk about the drivers then. Now, there's a bit of a, a frustration that we've not really heard from the drivers at this launch because we'd love to know their thoughts, their opinions, that kind of thing. But let's touch upon, first of all, Yuki Tsunoda. So both of these drivers' contracts end at the end of this season. Yuki Tsunoda enters his fourth season in Formula One. He had some good results last year, six top tens, a couple of eights in there. So he's he's a proven quantity now, isn't he, going into an F1 season. But with his contract up at the end of the season, what can he do to maybe get himself a drive in the same seat come 2025 or even somewhere else in the in the RB family or maybe another team entirely? I think it's building on on what he's done. I mean, I think last year was quite difficult to understand you know, where, where Yuki really stacked up because the car was ultra difficult at the start of the season. Um, you know, Nick the Vries struggled massively with it, didn't didn't last much long once Helmut Marco got on the phone. Um, then we saw Daniel Ricciardo come in, looked quick, um, then obviously had that crash in Zanvoort, was out for some races. Liam Lawson did a great job as that, that car came on. So we saw some progress from Yuki, but I still think that the jury's out in terms of, you know, just how good is he? Does he have the, the consistency now you need to perform over a full season? Is he one of those drivers that can be sensational one weekend and struggling the next? So I think it's just about building on that because the key in Formula 1 now with the way the grid is so close that you can't afford to have off weekends. You need to be on it every single race weekend if you're going to score the points that are going to push your team up the Constructors' Championship. Yeah, and I guess with people like Liam Lawson, you mentioned him coming in when Daniel Ricciardo got injured last season. He came in and he was very impressive, it has to be said. So there's a lot of drivers now waiting that have gone through the F2 route, that have come through Formula 2 and step into a Formula 1 car and can almost do the business straight away. Yeah, absolutely. Um, There are, I think racing drivers now arriving in Formula 1 a lot better prepared than they have been in the past. Um, But also, I mean, I think Liam did a sensational job, especially in Zandvoort, jumping into the car on the the Saturday, uh, getting through qualifying, going through the race, no huge, tremendous dramas. I think he just looked solid and he, he built on that. Um, and I think, you know, earned his reputation, uh, reserve driver this year, but I think he'll he'll do that kind of the, the preparation phase that will make him a contender for next year. Um, but I think, you know, Oscar Piastri has shown how you need to approach becoming a, a rookie in Formula 1, that you've got to have that year of testing in old cars, testing understanding performances, the tweaks you need to do, how a Formula 1 car works, how the tyres work, all this sort of thing. So the Piastri route, I think now is the preferred route probably for most people that, you know, it's a year out, a year of testing, development, understanding a team, then you're ready to hit the ground running as a rookie uh, rather than jumping in and having a kind of a bit of a shambolic rookie season because you don't really know how things work. Yeah, I suppose you end up in the route that Haas went a few years ago. Let's just stay with Yuki for a second because obviously you haven't got a crystal ball that we can see. It might be under the desk. I don't know. And I don't know if you're a gambling man, but would you imagine... You have got a crystal ball. Is it just over your shoulder? (laughs) It's it's on my shelf up there. Nice, nice. (laughs) Can you grab it down for us for a second? (laughs) Would you say that uh, if you were to you know, use your power of, of... looking into the future and all that magic that you have, that we'll see Yuki Tsunoda in a car in 2025, whether it be with V-Carb, whether it's going to be with Red Bull or someone else? Uh, I, I think he's got every chance of being on the grid in 25, but I, but I don't see him as kind of the, the, the key, one of the key players in the driver market. 
Um, I think in terms of the, the kind of that, that big Red Bull ecosystem, um, I think a lot depends on how Sergio Perez fares against Max this season. If we see the Perez that started last year is quite strong, pushing Max on, winning races, and you know the days that Max wins, he can at least finish second, then I think there's every chance of carrying on um, with the team. If we see the Sergio Perez was kind of towards the, well, from Miami to two or three races from the end of the season where he really, really struggled, then I think he, they wouldn't carry on with him and they'd, they'd look elsewhere. Um, then I think they'd probably look first to see how Daniel Ricciardo's done, just in terms of the experience, um, the last hurrah. Uh, and then outside of that, from what I understand, Alex Albon's top of their list of kind of outside contenders to come in. I think they're pushing to get an option on him for 26 at least because he's under contract for 25. So I think Red Bull will see probably Albon and Ricardo as their main options for going forward if Sergio Perez isn't there. Um, and that if Ricardo gets it, then I think Yuki would keep that seat and probably Liam Lawson would step up. Um, if Ricardo's not their man and Yuki hasn't performed, and I think Yuki could have the danger then of being replaced by Liam. So I think there's a... His future in Formula 1 next year isn't all down to him. Um, he's got to keep his head down. But I think there's a lot of lot of pieces to, to shake out um, in a driver market that I think is going to have a few more explosions. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting, though, that you mentioned Liam Lawson a few times there. So it seems that no matter what, Liam's probably got a decent chance of sitting and racing in a Formula 1 car come 2025. Let's move on to Daniel Ricciardo, though, because... We know Daniel Ricciardo. He's been around for a very, very, it seems like forever, in fact. He's been around for such a long time, the, the grinning Australian. What does he have to do to prove himself? And does he have to prove himself this season? I think establish himself as a team leader. He, he's got the experience. Uh, he's won races in the past. Um, I think the, the momentum he had hoped to get last year was kind of derailed by what the crash in Zandvoort and the injury. Um, so he came back. So he hasn't really kind of, got his feet properly under the desk and, and pushed on. I think he needs to show Red Bull he's he's the right man to get that kind of the probably the last hurrah in Formula One. Um, it would be kind of a nice circle to his career if he ended it at Red Bull having a, a successful period. Um, but he needs to needs to dominate Yuki to do that thing. He can't just sit there and be happy finishing behind Yuki and not stamping his authority. I think with his experience um speed is shown in the past and whereas in his career he, he needs to establish himself firmly as the team leader uh, to push it forward if daniel ricardo goes to red bull for 2025 big if on this capital i capital f if he does that would daniel ricardo be happy with playing second fiddle to max because let's face it i don't think red bull are gonna flip an order around for a, an aging formula one driver when you've got someone like max who's firmly in contention I don't think he'd be happy to play second field to Max, but I think he's in a different phase of his career now from when they were last together. And there was, you know, perhaps a, a feeling sometimes that the team was, you know, favouring Max or looking more towards Max, which I think is just natural, natural in any team when there's one driver that's performing so well, you always think there must be some explanation as to why this is happening. But I think he'd go to Red Bull more open-eyed about the opportunities, open-eyed about what he needs to do uh, open eye understanding that you know teams it's quite rare actually for teams to deliberately favor one driver over the other from the off and deliberately scupper the second driver things just things just naturally 
happened for various reasons um, and the attention. I think he'd be in a much better place to deal with it than perhaps he was last time. Okay. And what about other teams elsewhere? Would he? Do you think that Daniel Ricciardo would naturally stay within this Red Bull family, or would he look to some other team out there? I think I think one of the key key drivers for this market is what happens at Mercedes seat in twenty twenty five. And I think there's no easy answer right now, and probably even Mercedes don't know what they need to do. Because um, I think if Kimi Antonelli, uh, Andrea Kimi Antonelli, you know, shines in Formula 2 this year, we have some fantastic season, wins a championship, then you wonder whether Mercedes would feel it's ready, right for him to step up to Formula 1 immediately in 25, or does he need a kind of a that George Russell type spell at another team to, to learn the ropes and step up? So I think that's the key decision they need to make. And if it's not, if they push Antonelli to another team for one year or two years, they're going to need a, a stopgap solution, um, which probably isn't a driver hoping to build a long-term career at Mercedes. But you could see someone like Ricardo slotting in there. You could see a kind of Albon or a Sainz or Sebastian Vettel or Fernando Alonso, just someone who's in a different stage of their career um, to go in there. So I think there are opportunities. Uh, and I think Mercedes will be speaking to all these drivers, and I'm sure all these drivers and managers have been on the phone to Toto. So I think it's an unclear situation as to what's happening there at the moment. And probably, I wouldn't be surprised if there's four or five scenarios that Toto's got on his desk right now about what to do. Yeah, I imagine he's got quite a big file, almost a, a stack of papers there with different names and options and things looking on for 2025. Let's just stay with the Visa card app. Cash, cash app. Cash app. What did I say? Card app. <laughs> there you go. I've fallen into the pitfalls. Thanks very much, John. The Visa card app. <sighs> cash. Oh, my goodness me. Visa cash app. I'm writing this down again. John. <laughs> John, let's just stay with the Visa cash app RB for 2025. Now, Zach Brown has said that there's you know, this grey area between the partnership with Red Bull and this VCarb team. Now, I don't think we can ignore the fact that they are intrinsically linked, but what's it mean for VCarb? Can they be their own team or are they just going to remain as a Red Bull junior team? I think they can be their own team, but the, the route to success for it is to make the most of that Red Bull relationship. Um, I know, you know McLaren aren't happy about it, um, but I often think in, in Formula 1 that... Uh, you can tell when a team's making progress because they're annoying their rivals and competitors. Um, so I think the fact that um, RB has been under the spotlight for the relationship with Red Bull, has been under the spotlight for hiring Tim Goss from the FIA. Um, so I think it, it shows it's making steps that are annoying competitors. And if you're annoying competitors, you're probably doing the right job in effect the way you go around it. Um, I can't believe for a second that Red Bull and RB will be doing anything outside the regulations. I think everything will be done totally within the rules. Um, but on one side, there is a you know a wider question to be had about should a team or an entity own two teams in Formula One? Because there are clear advantages to having two teams. Um, you can run, you can gain on marketing fronts, you can gain on you know, distributing personnel to keep you know your some of your some of your personnel away from competitors. You just put them put them within, keep them in your own big global structure. Um, so there are benefits to be had, but I think that's that's a much wider issue, and that goes to FOM kind of FIA level. 
We'll have to see what happens over the course of the season. Now, before we wrap this up, John, uh, I've been asking most of the contributors that come on, most of my guests that come on to this, whether or not it's a hit or a miss. So, VCARB01, is it a hit or is it a miss, according to you, and why? Well, I think the liver is a hit, like the hit. The launch, a miss. The team could be a hit, but we don't know yet because we haven't spoken to anybody. Um, so I'm going to have to do, well, probably somewhere in the middle, actually. I think it, today could have been a bigger hit, but it didn't happen. That sounds like fence sitting to me, John. You can't get <laughs> off the fence. <laughs> Firmly planted there, straddling that fence. Well, look, it's been an absolute pleasure, as always. Thanks for joining me so early in the morning. Yeah, it's a new dawn, isn't it? A new dawn. Beautifully put, John. Thank you. And with that, we are now over halfway through F1's launch season. Thanks so much to John for coming on so early with us. We're now heading into the final stretch as next week we'll see what the top runners have in store with Aston Martin coming up on Monday. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time on the Autosport Podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.